because you know I'm working, I'm making a lot of money, and I've got cars. I'm, you know, I'm, do, I'm living by myself practically. My parents are over here in America, and I got the whole place to myself. Wow. You know I mean? I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm having a blast. I got a beautiful. Yeah, you're living uh, the life. You know, I got a beautiful lady friend. You know, and you know things are things are looking awesome. But then it starts to un- you know unravel. Yeah. Job loss, financial instability. Right. And now you feel insecure. You know, you're kind of like feeling, like, oh gosh, I'm not the man anymore, right? And the car accident. You know, lost the lost the badass car, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm getting helped out by people that are, are you know awesome people that are just helping me out at that time. And we we put that car back on the road, and eight I think eight or nine months, uh, nine weeks later, somebody steals it and burns it out. But yeah, man, I just uh, it was weird how my mom gave me that call, you know, yeah. and uh, and the mom says to me, she goes, "Come to America." So welcome back to the podcast. Today we have a very special guest. Um, he was born in West London, but raised in some of the roughest parts of the UK. Uh, he's of Punjabi descent, and he's now uh, living in the United States, married to his wife, Christina, who's of Mexican-American descent. So it's a mixed family. They have three beautiful grown kids, uh, Alicio, who's 20, Maurice, who's 19, and Roman, who just turned 14. He's a dedicated family man. He's been married for 21 years. They've been together for 23 years, right? He tells me he's huge on family and leaving a big legacy to his family and teaching his kids about legacy, right? That's right. He's a a businessman who went from a blue-collar worker to an entrepreneur. He's been a real estate investor. He's owned a dealership. He's uh, owned a vending machine company. He's been a stock trader, and he now owns a financial agency. Uh, He loves helping people. Please help us welcome to the podcast, Mr. Rab Baring. Thank you so much, Isaac. That's an awesome introduction. I appreciate that. No worries, man. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm very excited to have you. I know we've known each other now for quite some time, um, you know, and um, I'm excited to have you on the podcast because I think you have a very unique and uh, important story that people need to hear. Right, right on. And um, so I always like to start the podcast with getting to know the person, right? We want okay. to go back to the beginning, right? Go back to, to West London in, in, in the UK, right? So gotcha. uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, your upbringing, you know, growing up in London, the UK, uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah, man. Um, born in 1973. Okay. And this is just recent. I actually, um, about a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, I actually uncovered something. I was just meditating. I was just uncovering a pattern uh, in my life. Um, so in 73, there was a huge recession, uh, in the UK. So I'm born in a recession. Okay. Um, my dad was a worker at the Hoover factory, uh, near Perryvale, uh, near Ealing, Perryvale, that area. Um, he used to make vacuum cleaners. Remember the Hoovers, right? Yeah, I yeah. remember Hoovers, yeah. Yeah, my mom, you know, um, came to, came to the UK when she was, uh, around 17, 18 years old. And, and my mom married my dad and uh, back in India, Punjab, and it was an arranged marriage. Okay. That's, how they, that's how they did it. My yeah. mom never saw my dad. Wow. And the marriage. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that is pretty crazy. That's right. <laughs> but I mean, are they still married to this day? Yeah, culturally, right? They're married. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What to, yeah. Uh, you know, that's a story all by itself. It's crazy. But, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where you are a product of your environment. It was a, a huge recession in the UK. Um, Dad, being a, a blue-collar worker himself, um, found himself unemployed pretty quickly. Um, and you know, we don't know—we're babies, man. So, brother's born a year after I'm born, and um, so my dad moved up north 
um, to work at a GE factory, General Electric. Okay. And so we moved up north, went to Staffordshire um, for a little bit. And then I guess he lost his job there. And then um, from Staffordshire to uh, Northampton. Uh, and we, we lived in what we called the Wooden House. Um, growing up as, as little kids, my sister was born in 77. And uh, so she was little when we moved into the house in Northampton. So your sister was born in 77. Seven, That's seven, the yeah. year I was born. Early? Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> what month was your sister born? December. Okay, I'm November. Yeah. So December 22nd. I was born one like about a month right before her. Okay. That's yeah. pretty cool. That's yeah. great. Yeah, and so, you know, early childhood memory is like, we. I felt poor. We knew we were poor. Okay. You know, just as little kids, this is early, you know, mid early 70s or mid 70s. I knew there was something not right, you know, because we all lived in one room. Uh, I guess my dad at moment rented his place and it had no carpet and we'd wander around the house and there was just no furniture, there's no f- carpet, no curtains and nothing like that, right? Wow. Um, and, and from there we went into this um, housing complex and, to, you know, when you're a little kid, everything's an adventure, right? Yeah. It's magic and it's awesome. And so we moved into this other house and um, fast forward, 1983. Remember this pattern I'm telling you about? Like 73 was a recession. Yeah. Well, in 83, there's another massive recession in the UK. Wow. And I don't know it at that time. Well, we're little kids. So you're about I'm just, 10 years old now? I'm 10 years old. Okay. But in 83, I didn't, it doesn't, you know, you're 10. You have no idea what's going on. I'm just telling you what I picked up on about a month and a half ago, these patterns and just doing research and studying and reading and British history and uh, what's really going on? We're what we call Margaret Thatcher's forgotten children, and okay. um, you know, so we were ten, and uh, all of us grew up in this area, uh, which is called the London Overspill. Uh, it's not formally called the London Overspill, but it is the London Overspill. So basically, they the British people built these um, housing projects. It's what they call in America projects, um, and in outskirts of london so we're 60 miles north of uh north of london and uh, a lot of us uh grew up in that area this place was built in 1968 through the early 70s and uh, a lot of the people that were there are poorer uh, members of the greater london area okay so they're basically uh, if you were below the poverty line or below the poverty belt you were placed in council housing Wow. So this is government-run uh, housing, and so. And this we, is real poverty, by the way. Th- this is, um, in British terms, they don't n- realize that they're poor because it's such a, a government handout system over okay. there. Okay, you make sense. So you guys went from kind of real poverty, mm-hmm. where like a home that had like no furniture, to government poverty, basically. Yeah, yeah, something like that, along those lines, I, and it, it was crazy because my dad was just trying to do whatever he could, you know, to put food on the table my yeah. worked he worked at uh, telford's uh, the sandwich factory uh in northampton and my mom worked uh, uh at a sh- uh, leather skiving factory and because that's where shoes are made doc martens are made by there really? in northampton yeah yeah oh wow uh in northamptonshire actually doc martens so yeah, that's kind of famous right yeah right, in the uh, 90s those are very famous i know yeah. right yeah um and, and uh my mom used to work at avon uh factory uh, making the cosmetics so she smelled yeah. like perfume wow. when she'd come home from work uh, in the factory in the evening shift and uh, around Christmas time right about now <laughs> she'd be working at Cadbury's chocolate factory wow. and uh, that was the only time we ever got chocolates yeah. they say that British people have bad teeth right and I was joking around my mum the other day and she got pissed off at me because I said mum the reason why we have nice teeth is because we couldn't afford sweets alright that's why I have that's why I got nice teeth right <laughs> yeah. <And when> I, <laughs> so blessing turned into a I, burden, I guess right? so right because they say the British people have bad teeth right yeah. um, that's kind of true I don't know <laughs> uh, I know uh, 
but she got mad at me because you don't uh anyways i don't, I don't want to piss her off right <laughs> but uh yeah man it just uh all of us grew up in, in, in a in a in an area where it was rough uh you know we um what can i say it's like um when you're a young kid you know you don't know what skinheads are yeah. you just know that if you see one you run or you right. you uh do the best you can not to be seen right, right. um because they tend to beat the crap out of you yeah right? so skinheads was a big problem growing up in where you grew up it, it was it was the norm right it, it makes sense skinheads was a scene that was happening in the uh, uh late right. 70s early 80s that was that was the norm there was um that that was going on that was part of the british um culture right yeah national front was a huge thing over there and um, and what was really going on was these people that, you know, were in the working class were pissed off with immigrants like my dad and mum who would right. take who were taking their jobs, right? So kind of like with the, the <clears throat> lie they say about Mexicans taking people's jobs exactly here in the United States, yeah. right? They were pissed off because they were upset that they were thinking that the immigrants were taking their jobs back then. Yeah, and, and the thing is the British um, underclass, you know, these people are accustomed to benefits. They're accustomed right. to uh, welfare uh, and that's normal for them. They yeah. actually, it's um, it's it's a right. That's how, that's their mentality. Yeah. They have rights to that to that benefit. And if you're not British or born British, or you're not, if you ain't white, you ain't right. Is one of the things that they say over there. If you but ain't um, right, you ain't right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, it, they would be pissed off of you. You know, yeah. they, you know. So that's kind of like what was going over there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny because you mentioned some pretty big companies that your parents worked for. Uh, that's kind of how it was back in those days, right? Like you could actually work for a large company and and have a job and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's not like that anymore. You know what I mean? No. no. Yeah. But talk about like talk about that because I know that you mentioned um, you know you you had kind of a rough childhood and you know being an immigrant. So was your father already in London? Or what did was he born there? No, he wasn't born there, but he came to the UK at a very young age. I okay. think he was there at sorry, uh, the UK, not yeah, London, yeah. right? The, it, well, he was in London and in the Kent area, Dartford, Kent. Okay. Um, this is uh, he worked at Dagenham, um, which is the Ford factory. Okay. Uh, on the outskirts of um, uh, of Dartford, that region of 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 uh, East London, so he was there when he was like twelve or thirteen years old. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, and then didn't graduate high school uh and um worked at the factories and just like because because my granddad his dad said you better go to work right. forget about school get go get a job it yeah. was like don't be you know don't be wasting your time in school go get a job that was kind of like the thing right and that's um, kind of that's kind of opposite of what it is now for for traditional indian families right absolutely yeah, yeah. so but now it's like go get an education yeah. right um, and, uh, so, so your what part of India is, is your family from your father? Yeah. North, uh, it's Punjab, Punjab, uh, North okay. India. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And this place called, um, uh, Jadali, uh, which is the, it's a re it's a region of, uh, Jalandhar district. Okay. That's right. That's like all country bunking farmers. That's oh, what really? that's. Yeah. It's predominantly farmers. There's a, I'll give you an example. There's like a region underneath it, underneath Jalanda, which is called Ludhiana. They tend to be a very business-minded, business-orientated. We know a Raja Dhaliwal, right. for example, both you and I do, and uh, he's from the Ludhiana region. Okay. So they're very business-savvy. Okay. You know what I mean? Uh, but where my folks are from, country bunking, okay. farmers, you know, and... Uh, Blue-collar, basically. Blue-collar, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And so what brought your father to uh, the UK? 
It was uh, right after the war. Okay. Right after the Second World War, Grandpa was uh, invited to the UK. And um, it was also because there weren't en enough men there after the war, right, to rebuild. Oh, wow. Yeah. M25 was a, is the motorway that runs around London. My grandpa um, was part of that project. And he, you know, he did whatever he could um, to, to work. And they all lived in one house. Yeah. It was kind of like normal for uh, the big families all in one tiny house. And yeah. That's how they did it. But that's how they came to the UK. It was uh, for work. So, so the UK was basically importing men and workers because mm -hmm. basically they had to rebuild the whole entire country. Yeah, absolutely. And, and don't forget the British had actually colonized India yes. right, for, for a few centuries and they had created the division um, in the country, in India. They'd created pa what's called Pakistan as a, as a country yeah. now. There was no such thing as Pakistan before the British. It yeah. was all Punjab and wow. uh, predominantly Sikhs. Yes. which is my uh, what I was born into as a Sikh. Um, and then as soon as that was formed, the Sikhs had to migrate south into what's present-day Punjab. Wow. Yeah, and that's how a lot of displacement happened uh, yeah. around the world. Yeah. So so what did the British, did they also bring religion to, to North India? or did? I don't think they did that. Um, I don't think they brought religion at all. Um, but they did bring a lot of tension, and um, there's, there's a huge history of that, you know, um, there was two Anglo-Sikh wars, I believe. And okay. um, just, you know, I don't know much about that because, you know, obviously weren't, weren't during my time. Right. But uh, from history, uh, which is easy to Google, right? Um, we're, we're a people that we're very proud. You know, we're very hardworking. There's a joke that Indians have, like you'll never find a poor, you'll never find a Sikh beggar. Right. They'll always sell something. Yeah. They'll always You'll never find a Mexican beggar either. Too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's just how our culture is, yeah. you know. And, um, but yeah, no, that's how that's how we ended up in the UK. Okay. Yeah. And so, so your your, your grandfather, your father came there, mm -hmm. and then obviously you were born there, and then uh, you guys move over to the the projects, right? Yeah. I don't know. Do you have any crazy stories growing up in in those projects? Uh, anything that that maybe? Uh, yeah, it's crazy. crazy. Um, you know, it's it's. You don't know you're in the project because you are a part of it. Okay. Am I making sense? Yeah, here? that makes sense. Like you yeah. don't know that you're in a rough part of the You UK. don't know anything different. No, you, it's normal. Yeah. Every day was that you become accustomed to it. So to me, it didn't it didn't feel like I was in a, in a dodgy area. It was just that was just how it was. Yeah. That was your life. That was lifestyle, right? Um, but I can tell you that you know when you look back, and it's not normal to have to be scared to go around corners. Am I making sense? Like, so for example, if you're walking down an alley, there's a lot of alleys, um, meaning, you know, you go between houses and behind the houses and such. Yeah. And, and, and as you're walking, you're kind of like, okay, you look around the corner, see if it's clear, then you carry on walking. That's how it was every day. Wow. And, and, and my bro, you know, brother-in-law, when I first came to the United States, he didn't believe the stories I'd, I'd share with him, but they were just normal everyday occurrences. But you get... You get used to being in fights, at least three fights, two fights a week, wow. brawls. I mean, I'm talking proper punch-ups, you know, and wow. with people you don't know, people you may know, you get a kick in the head, you get a punch in the face, you get spats on. It was just normal. Wow. Right? You're going in the underpass and all of a sudden these people come off the walls and when you're going through the underpass and they'll kick you off your bike and throw your bike somewhere and punch you in the face a little bit. It was normal, yeah. right? Um, it, you know... Um, going to school um there'd be school fights between other schools and then as they'd be coming back from uh, as they'd be coming back from their school brawl uh, i remember one actually a couple of times this happened i'll be riding my bike 
uh, across the field uh, from lunch break and uh, they'd come running after me and wow. I used to wear a turban you know I used oh, really? to have, yeah my dad uh, put a turban on my head when I was seven years old oh, you wow. know because uh, you know anyways uh, <laughs> well that's but, a big thing for the Sikh right yeah but the, on my dad's side of the family I'm the only one me and my brother were the only ones on my dad's side <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that crazy? So he basically set you guys up to yeah. get beat up, basically yeah. profiled, right? And he goes, uh, <laughs> I guess he did it in in honor of his yeah. uh, of his granddad. I mean, I don't think he thought, you know, if I no. if I follow my heritage, my sons are going to basically be targets to yeah. get beat. We're one of my brother and I, the only ones, only Sikhs that I knew of in my area. Wow, we're the only ones. You that's, know, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. So predominantly. Uh, white uh neighborhood it was multi it was multi uh, ethnicities there as well a lot of jamaicans uh, to this day are some of my best friends you know right? yeah. um and and uh people from the gujarat the gujarat area of uh, india okay um you know just but we were the only sikh family that lived in that area you okay. know so first thing that would come off in a brawl is your turban wow it's coming off man yeah. and your hair is going everywhere and you can't see nothing yeah right your hair's on your face and yeah. you bite you know and you're getting beaten up yeah and it, and it turns like you, you can tell you've been beaten up a lot because you don't feel it wow it becomes a sound oh my gosh Does that, am i making sense you've uh, been beaten up so much you're you making know, sense i've never been beat like that but yeah. i guess i kind of it makes sense yeah i guess i, I think adrenaline kicks in or whatever it may be yeah. fight or flight basically mm-hmm. right but survival because you get so used to it. it's like i already know it's gonna be a sound Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So, you know, as you get accustomed to getting whoopings, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> you know, what leads me to the next thought is how I I basically constructed my self-esteem, coming from very low self-esteem and constructed my self-esteem by accident. Um, I, I guess I got into a rage or I lost it. Right. Um, you snapped. Snapped or something like that. And I beat the living lights out of somebody so badly. And, and the and and and, and what, from, how old were you when this I think happened? I was 14 years 14? old. 14, okay. I think I was 14, 15 years old at that time. So 14 is when you snapped mm-hmm. and you beat the daylights out of beat somebody. Let's, let's talk about that. So, so take us. Yeah, I guess I took him by surprise. It was a school called um, uh, Western Fable Upper School. Um, and, and I'm going home from, um, I'm going home from school, me and my brother. My brother just had a brand new pair of glasses. I don't know how broken poor we are. My brother's brand new glasses gets punched in. Like, so he loses the lens and oh the lens breaks. And my brother's, you know, he's not a very good fighter. He's not, he's still to this day, not like that. But I see him get hit. He's on his bicycle too. And uh, somebody roundhouse kicks him to the face. Oh my gosh. So he's just and, riding down the street and then. Well, you know, they, people kind of like gathered around him. Oh, so you guys start to see the crowd. Yeah. yeah. And then as I, we're, I'm walking up this way and he's already getting stopped. I, don't, I see. I see the person that do that does that to him. I'm like, he didn't do nothing, right? You know what I mean. And I, and I know who that kid is, and uh, I, I wailed at him so hard, like, um, and and the feeling that I got afterwards, it was like um, I was hooked. I don't know how to say it, but I felt like, damn, yeah. you know, what I mean? you got like a surge of power. Yeah. Like, I, like I, I don't know what it was, man, but I was like whoa i can do that you know it's kind of one of those moments yeah. like um after the fact i'm shaking you know when you, i'm shaking I'm, i remember like um, even right now i'm kind of physically being present to that that's crazy take my huh? brother home my mom's really upset you know because i was the, you know i have to go get a pair of glasses again and um you know just uh, watching my brother get that beating was really pissed me off too yeah. and, and you know i started to notice that 
in me. I was like, wow, I can actually, I can actually fight. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. And and I can, and I would say, sadly, I built my self esteem around those uh, poor building blocks. Right. They're not because you become. Um, when anyone flexes on you or any, and it would be more like I'd, I want to smash their face in. You right. know what I mean? I'd, I want to headbutt them, or um, uh, you know, it it be on. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna annihilate you. Yeah. you know, it, it, was, it became like your coping mechanism. I guess so. You know. Yeah. To, to I wasn't afraid anymore. Yeah, but it's yeah. a it's an empowering feeling because, you know, what you had to go through. You know, being uh, you know one of the only Sikh Punjabis in the area. Mm. Obviously, the UK is mainly majority Caucasian, right? So, right. Not only do you stick out, right? And then there's obviously in the projects, and there's a lot of racism. Just, I mean, just yeah. even if it wasn't racism, kids are always fighting, right? You know what yeah. I mean? And um, I think, like you said, it was all the years of dealing with that, and then finally, you were you were just given the freedom, the power. Like I can protect myself, and I mm-hmm. can protect my brother, and I can stop this, or at least I can. I could put a whooping on somebody too. That's going to try to put a whooping on me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 uh, you know, <clears throat> British culture is such is such that we actually it's weird. I mean, it may not be now. It may not be like that now. But back then, it was like we went looking for fights. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's such a an, it was a very hostile environment. You, you know, how can you how can you say it, man? It just your windows are getting smashed in. You know, people are throwing stones at your window. People uh, are putting dog shit through your letterbox. They're putting, um, you know, they're flobbing in your face. You know, flobbing means to spit in your face. Wow. Um, just, just because you're not, if you ain't white, you ain't right. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's and crazy. but I'll be honest with you. Let me tell you something. That's kind of weird, right? Um, I actually like racism in your face. People okay. are. I, th- I think people across the world are racist. It doesn't matter what culture or race you are, and it's not not necessarily. I think white people are the least racist i think a lot of other cultures out there are, are tremendously more racist than, than than the white people are and you can really feel that effect over here in the united states um but over there in the uk it's in your face you know your enemy yeah it's easy to deal with it, it, that's true <clears throat> because they say you know new york is kind of like that like if they like you you'll know and if they don't like you you'll know right yeah, okay um in california the west coast it's more like they're like nice to your face, but they'll stab you behind your back. Does that make yep, sense? Yep, yep. So, I mean, I'm a, racism anywhere is it's not good, right? But I think what you're saying is that at least you're prepared for it because you know you you know it's expected, right? It's not going right. to surprise you. It's 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 just going to happen, right? Absolutely. So, let's talk about that because it, it reminds me of something that happened to me when I was young, it wasn't with fighting. It was more with like women, you know, because mm-hmm. growing up I was bullied and I was shy and, you know, I liked girls, but I was, I was just too shy to even talk to them. Right. Like I could be standing next to you for 30 minutes and you wouldn't even know I was there until you turned around. Right. And then something happened like in junior year in high school where I broke out of my shell and then, you know, attracting women was like cake. It was like easy. Mm-hmm. So it was almost like you were, praying for something and then it comes to you in abundance that you don't know how to handle it you just abuse it and become addicted exactly so i think that's kind of what happened to you with with the with the ability to fight right you know you just reminded me of something um i my mom used to tell me because it was such such a hostile environment pray and what okay i'll 
you know, my mom gave me the instructions on to pray. I was like, okay, I'll pray. So I go pray, pray, dear God, please, tomorrow I don't want to get my ass kicked. Uh, please, dear God, uh, please, I hope I can get to school without getting whooping, you know. And and the next day I get my ass beat. And it was crazy, um, you know, I, uh, I'd get beat up by people that look just like me. Wow. That's crazy, like same color skin and everything. I didn't understand this. This is during middle school. Um, and my mom would uh, say, Mom, they just look, they look just like us and, um, you know, they don't have turbans or anything, but they, but I, I get beat up by these bunch of boys on the way to school right here, you know. It's, it's, this school is called Boothville Middle School. It's no longer there anymore. I think they built houses over it. But my mom and dad walked me to school and then I pointed out, you know, they walked me to school a few times and I said, there they are, Mom, they're over there. And she, my mom knew right away who they were. Wow. And and it was crazy. And so I know this is going on the internet and I'll probably get a lot of hate for this um, or whatever it is, man. But <clears throat> my mom did an amazing job of not making me a racist or, or making me a hater. She is awesome wow. in this respect. But she described to me that there are cultures and people of different faith that may look like us, but back in the motherland, they're, they're enemies. Wow, and and there was this. You remember I told you about Pakistan being created, yes, and for Muslims and then the Sikhs. Well, that carried over. That spilled over, of course. So those immigrants that came from those countries into the UK carried that baggage with them, and wow. the, and they carried that story with yeah. them. And what's crazy is that these kids knew the story of their parents because obviously they, you know, the, the yeah. parents have been teaching them. It's this passed stuff, on from right? generation. We to know generation. this now. Yeah. I'm unpacking this now in front of you, right? Yeah. But back then, it doesn't it doesn't fade. You don't understand that concept of like yeah. you know parents teaching their children uh, a pattern of behavior which is incongruent with living in a civilization that's multicultural. It's, right. it, but at the same time, my mom did this, and she goes, "Son, you know," and she gave me the history lesson at that point, and I was like, "Oh, okay." Never made me a hater. There are a lot of Sikhs like me that actually know this, and they have this conditioning as well where they if they see them they're going to light them up yeah you know be, but i wasn't raised so my mom was awesome in that respect um you know and my mom mom and dad did the best they could to afford you know taekwondo classes you yeah. know and, and taekwondo doesn't help you in street fighting jack dude you're not like hold on step right there they're like Pow. <laughs> hold on one second yeah. get, wait wait chi i'm trying to get my chi man <laughs> Uh, they're like they're already hit you chi. like 18 times before you yeah. got your first position right my mom never packed my chi in my oh i'm sorry i can't pack. anyway yeah so that's crazy though yeah. because you were born in the uk right um so you didn't know what was happening in in obviously in india and in pakistan right no, but well, be, because yeah. of that it trickled all the way into the uk and affected mm-hmm. you and probably affected you more because your parents were the ones that didn't want to didn't want to bring those that division and hate into the UK because they wanted to leave it back in India. Probably. I guess you know. I'm, right. Don't forget, my mom came to the UK when she was seventeen. Yeah, you know so what I mean, I'm sure she. I'm sure your parents, uh, mm-hmm. you know, were, were at least saw a big part of that. You right. Know what I mean, yeah. Um, and, and my dad tells me when he was growing up as a kid too, like how it was and how how rough it was, and it was, you know, he tells me how, how like you know you gotta and, and he was very strict. My old man, my pops was really strict, and he was doing the best he can to protect us from the world around us, you know. Yeah. And so he wouldn't let us out playing, he wouldn't let us go out and socialize. That in itself, I believe, stunts you. You mean it, it, uh, it doesn't agree. allow you to grow, doesn't allow you to. So I would say, um, you know, we we were sheltering basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I know, I know only because I was sheltered, and I, I know exactly what you're talking about, right? However, I think where you grew up didn't allow you to be sheltered. So no matter yeah. how hard your parents tried, just going outside, you left their protective mm-hmm. bubble, and you, you know, they always say that the bad things that happen to you actually turn out to be good. You just don't see it at the time. No, exactly. You know, and of course, you're a young kid. You don't understand why you just go outside and you're getting beat up every single day. Exactly. However, I believe it built a lot of character, it built mm-hmm. a lot of mental toughness, and all that kind of stuff. So you remember I was telling you, I used to pray, and then the next day I'd get my whooping, right? Yeah. Then the days I wouldn't pray, nothing would happen. It was kind of weird, right? That's weird, yeah. So for years, I was like, okay. There was a, I, I had this like weird relationship where if I prayed, I'm praying to God, God's giving me a whooping the next day. I didn't, it didn't, I'm telling you something that's kind of like, uh, we're going to come full circle. That can kind of confuse a child. Yeah, and, I, and I'm like, so I don't pray, I don't get my ass beat. I don't believe in God anymore. Wow. You know what I'm saying? So for years, I had no relationship with, with God or any kind of faith yeah. or anything like that. And, and, you know, and I was happy with it. It was normal. Yeah. Right? Don't even get me started on religion, though. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, trying to get, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get to a point. Now we know, I'm 47 years old, now I know that our prayers are answered in the form of adversity. We're given adversity and okay. we're to grow through that adversity, to get better and stronger through adversity. Because the version of who you need to be to reach the next level, you... It comes from adversity but that wasn't a concept i understood as a kid makes yeah. sense so i i agree with you on that but could it also have been they say that whatever you focus on is what you get good or bad mm-hmm. okay because you were praying don't give me beatings all you were all you were emitting was beating beating, beating. exactly exactly Does that Probably, make sense? yeah 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 so when you weren't praying about that it wasn't on your mind yeah so the energy Maybe you left a little early that day and you missed the crowd, right? But the day you're praying about it, <laughs> the universe says, well, "We need to get that beating because you've been praying about it." I know, right? So <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna make you leave five minutes later so that yeah. you run right into the kids. Yeah, oh, it's crazy. It just reminded me of a story when, um, you know, money was tight for my parents and uh, my mom couldn't afford a ten pence cup of tea at the um, at the company that she worked for. They would often say, "Hey, how come you're not having a cup of tea?" Said, mom couldn't afford ten pennies. Wow. Um, and so things like powdered milk were, were kind of like the thing that we did at home as well. And you know, powdered milk doesn't go good with cereal. It's disgusting, right? <laughs> I've never had powdered milk, but okay, I can, I can yeah, pretty yeah. much imagine. And as you can see, guys, we have some uh, some nice some beers, British beverages that we're going to be enjoying. So. <laughs> well, they're not they're not British, man. But let me give you a little history on these before. Um, well, the British are very famous for pints, pills, right? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. There you go. So the the Truma pills is a I would say the benchmark. Pilsner brewed in uh, Berkeley over here in California. Okay, um, it's it's awesome. If you look at their website, um, their their all their brewing brewing stuff comes from 14th century equipment, okay. and wow. it's over here in Berkeley. But it's a very crisp, very dry um, Pilsner, refreshing. Uh, on it doesn't leave any kind of like texture on your tongue. It's just it's just it just flows really well. Uh, and it's got a punch. It's got a bite to it, and um, it's very. It's actually low in alcohol so let, too. Let's pour this up real quick. Yeah, let's before do it, we get man. Back to the story. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Hopefully, I do this dun, right because I'm not much of a drinker. But you know, Joe, the Rogan, angle's wrong. I learned. <laughs> I learned from you. If your guest does it, you do it too. All right, let's have a beer and a chat. Right, it's actually right. it's how we do it in the pubs, man. Yeah, we're having a conversation. Cheers. We talk about everything. Cheers, man. All right. Hmm. pretty good it's yum 
It reminds me of Mexican beer because I'm. That's probably the only beer I ever drink. That's what right. I like, like Modelo or Coronas. Well, the the, the Mexicans got it from the Germans. Yeah, it kind of has a little bit of like a Modelo yeah. type taste. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's awesome. All right, so let's get back to the powdered milk. Powdered milk. Yeah, yeah. So mum <laughs> says to me, better than powdered milk. I know. Right? Mum says to me, go to the local shops down the street, you know, and uh, go get some milk. And I was like, awesome milk. Yes. Right. <laughs> You're like, yeah. Milk. Right. So I'll go down there. I'm happy. You know, and uh, we're getting milk, you know, and uh, pay for my milk. I'm walking back up. It's called the Black Hill. It's in Lumber. Black Hill. Yeah. So this okay. place I'm talking about is called uh, Lumber, Lum- Lumber Tubs. Uh, it's part of the London Overspill. Okay. Um, so Lumber Tubs, pretty rough area. Um, but when you're living in that area, you don't, you know, it's, it's normal life, right? Yeah. Um, it, you don't know anything different. You don't know anything different. You, you just know that. You compare it to, right? Exactly. But you, 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 your nature kicks in of being defensive, whatever. I'm walking up the Black Hill and then these seven kids from my neighborhood that I know that we're about the same age are walking down. And I know there's some beef between me and them lot, right? Wow. I'm like, so oh, you shoot. and seven. Seven, yeah. Um, I'm not going to mention names because they might see this, right? But they're from my neighborhood. Um, I'll mention a couple of names actually because, you know, maybe maybe they'll they'll tune in. But anyways, I'm um, walking up and I see these seven. I was like, oh, shit, it, it's it's on. We're, you know, it's going to happen. You, 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 you don't really run. You, you, I don't know what happens in thought, but okay, it's on. Yeah. Without, without even knowing, milk's gone. It's splashed everywhere. And you were so excited for that milk too. But one of those moments where I freaking lost it. Yeah, because of the milk? Milk. <laughs> yeah, I lost it. I lost it. Wow. Um, and and when you're in that state, this happened to me a few times actually. Uh, when you're in that state, you know, you, you're not feeling anything. It, remember, it's sounds. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, you, get, you do feel, but I'm just saying most of it's a sound. That's how I got, that's my relationship to it. It's like, it's the thud, thud, you know? <laughs> so um, you hitting and you getting I'm getting hit, hit yeah. It's just thud, so, thud. But I, I remember, like, I wanted to, I wanted to annihilate every one of those guys, right? And, and I had a little bit of backup. I, some other friends that I know saw what was happening, right. and they kind of held back a few of the guys. Okay. Pushed him off me, uh, and my neighborhood friend I grew up with. His name is Christian Balthazar. I think he's not in a good, not a good place right now. Um, I'll talk about him a little bit later on. But and then another good friend of mine, he committed suicide. His name is Lee Morrison. Wow. Um, great guy, man. One of Lee, Lee Morrison was one of those guys that stuck up for me when I was growing up as a kid. And um, and, and then uh, there was another guy named Eddie McGuire, and he was there. And, <clears throat> but yeah, man, it was just uh, these guys held them back, and uh, so I got a chance to get one on one with these people. And I was, right. I was, I was doing a pretty good job. So made know? it a fair fight, basically, fair as it could be, right? Could but be. every every one of them got a good got a good whooping. Okay, you know right. what I mean. But I lost the milk, man. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> so you're more upset about the, the milk, milk than actually yep. having to fight seven guys. Exactly, and and people's milk bottles used to because the milkman used to deliver milk. And so they were stolen glass bottles. They were stealing milk from you. You get milk stolen from you. Um, and so milk was kind of like, it was important, right? Because yeah. it goes with cereal. <laughs> no, what I meant is it was in a glass bottle. It was in a glass bottle. So yeah. your glass bottle was basically busted. Busted. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. Uh, man, it was it was something that I never forget because I remember how 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 rough it was not to have milk, right? Yeah. And um, just, just, just little things like that. Little things like that, you know, and... Yeah, those seven people got it. 
you know and i think to this day if we ever met in a pub we'd be fine really right. <laughs> you guys are just <laughs> talk and laugh about it right? <laughs> exactly <laughs> it'd be so fine you, so you took on seven guys and basically you got mm. the best with of seven it. kids you know all of a sudden well i mean you were yeah. a kid too right i mean yeah, if you're yeah, yeah. a man now and you yeah. took on seven kids that'd be different but, but again what's what's happening i'm getting a reinforcement of a belief now i'm getting um yeah. almost conditioned to like okay i think i i i, I think i could stand up for myself a bit better you know what i mean so did it kind of become like your self-medicating kind of like um an addiction so to speak i wouldn't say addiction but i wouldn't i wouldn't even say i wasn't uh, afraid but that's that's kind of a, an empowering feeling though mm. to grow up afraid all the time to all of a sudden like hey i know i can stand up for myself right did that help you at all during that time absolutely like, talk about some things that that may be changing your life once you learned I can actually defend myself and I can actually put a whooping on somebody. Yeah, it's some stupid things like, you know, when you're now 18, 19 years old, you, you, I used to take, I used to go boxing. My good friend Richie um, introduced me to boxing and uh, I'd go boxing classes with him and it, we'd have a blast, a good workout, you know, at that, at that age of during it, I mean, testosterone is pumping through your oh, system, yeah. you know, and you feel like a badass, right? Yeah. So we're going out to the clubs in town, Northampton, Wellingborough Road, uh, where all the pubs are it's like a you know place where you can just go from pub to pub to pub it's a pub crawl that you can do up there and uh in town itself all the night and, and me and the guys used to go looking looking for trouble looking for trouble yeah yeah and we wouldn't be afraid so it was how just, old were you when this happened i 18 17 18 19 okay, so, so about 14 <clears throat> is when it started mm -hmm. and then about three years of you pretty much saying i got this and then yep. getting some formal training absolutely i bet you that made you even a better fighter uh, yeah you know not afraid you know right. and, and and being fearless but um well isn't that what wins <clears throat> a fight yeah i guess so you know i mean if you're afraid of the other yeah. person you're pretty much already lost and, you know, and that mentality is what's the worst that can happen right you know you i think when you're a teenager you like you're not afraid of dying right you know, or, or what's the worst that can happen yeah. and at, at that time around that age there was a lot of knife crime uh, a lot okay. of people carrying knife. uk man i'm telling you i think it's more violent than the united states right absolutely more violent well i think it's different though because it's fighting and knives here it's guns yeah i mean it's like there's no there's no honor there's no toughness like anybody someone that you probably could whoop their butt in a fight right. can just pull out a gun and it's over you know what i mean yeah i mean but still i would say if you was to stand in the uk for like a day in a pub you'd see at least two, three fights kick off. Right. I was there for one day for a wedding for my mate. Um, we, call, we call him Womble, but um, his name's Paul. And uh, I was there for a day. I flew in, you know, went to his wedding. The next day I was out, right? Right. In that one day, we're in Nottingham, you know, and then uh, down in London, we, you know, Nottingham, I, I just happened to be staring off into the skies and somebody walking by, what you looking at? All right, I was like, like, oh shit! I'm in England. Welcome to Britain. Yeah. Right. And then uh, down in London, a uh, place called Southall, uh, it, it there was two fights: one in the pub, and then one that we almost got into uh, in Ealing uh, with my with my good friends, uh, you know, Sonny Desange and these guys. And we were in Ealing, and, and it, it was crazy. But um, you know, it, it, that's how England is. You know, it's it's not. Uh, it's part of the culture, I guess. It is. It's very British culture. Especially the pub scene. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, in Americans, people, they see a beautiful, uh, serene, countryside, posh-speaking British people, right. right? And that's what you see on television. Let me give you this. That's that's how it was for me in England when we used to watch TV shows like The A-Team, Knight Rider, 
right. you know, uh, oh, Baywatch, no, you know, all those, yeah. all those TV shows. And I was like, man, America's awesome. You know, blue skies, bikinis, beautiful women, awesome cars. And it just looked awesome. I thought it was like, I want to go to America. Because yeah. when the sun would shine in the UK, when the sun would pop out, right, yeah. in the blue sky, I'd, I'd always be in my backyard. I'd like look up and think, oh, that's what America looks like. Wow, that's weird, right? Yeah, and I was like 14, 15, 16 years old. I looked up into the sky. Wow, that's a, that's what America looks Some like. Some parts of America. And yeah. I used to dream about coming over here. I was yeah. like, oh man, one of these days we're going to go to America, and I want to live there. And I used to dream about it. And look where I'm at now, yeah. in California. It's crazy. But when you land there, you're like, hang on a minute, <laughs> false advertising. <laughs> <laughs> where did you? Where did you? Uh, so let's talk about that. How old were you when you first came to the United States? And where did you? Where did you first? fly into oh my god you ready yeah i was 19 years old okay right so this was literally a year after you were pub fighting boxing right. mm -hmm. wow that's 19 crazy. so 19 um we you know in england we have one month holidays from okay. work that's just normal yeah. you know um when you start a job you get one you can you can take four weeks holiday it's pretty so cool. I, like, I, I told my boss uh, i was used to work for a company called airflow airflow streamlines uh, in far cotton we used to build um, prototype uh, prototype cars you know from, I used to be a sheet metal worker welder fabricator and uh, took, told my boss I'm taking a four week vacation I'm going go to go to America he said yeah no worries and I went 19 years old like, super fired up excited about coming to the States and my grandma lives over here they live in Modesto Modesto right? they live in Modesto <laughs> and my mom's side wow, my mom's side of family right and yeah. uh, so they, we get picked up in a, a Chevy a van with the captain chairs that swivel uh -huh. just like the 18 yeah, van yeah, you know? yeah. i was like whoa those are very popular like in the yeah, 80s yeah, yeah. and we used to have one of those but check this out right so we had two flights one landed in um uh on the east coast right okay uh, and then it that was it that was a trip because it led us to another airplane i forget the name of the town um but it was really full of rude people man uh so we so land you actually stayed one day in the east coast not even one day we a flight landed and we had to you know get just, another flight just a layover basically. layover kind of like to to california um and i just remember like queuing up for a bus yeah no freaking queue man yeah. everyone's like um you know gathered around a oh, bus yeah. as soon as the everyone jumps on and the doors close <laughs> and then the guy takes off <laughs> i'm like, trying to be polite and, <laughs> and what happened here so the next bus comes and now i'm trying to be more aggressive and the people yeah. are rude there uh, on the east coast so I get on the bus we get to our next flight and so not a very good experience my first time in the United States yeah. come over here get picked Col up culture almost, shock basically. exactly get picked up at almost midnight uh, and over here at San Francisco Air International Airport our, our whole family's um, getting picked up in this van and that San Mateo Bridge when you cross it for the first time it's like Hang on a minute. This bridge is still going. Yeah, it's long. And is that the one where there's water on both and sides? Exactly. So you feel like you're not even on land. You're it's like, like, what is the longest bridge I've ever? You know, yeah. are we still on the bridge? And <laughs> cross that. It felt like forever. Yeah, crossing that bridge. Yeah. And then this drive went on forever. <laughs> you know, I tell you something. In England, if you drive that long, you you've gone far. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. You've been to UK? Yeah, my you, sister lives in, in London, yeah. so and I've been there like three times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll talk a little about long-distance relationships in a bit. Remind me of that one. Um, okay. But um, we drove into Modesto, and I was like, man, that was a long drive, you know, from, from San Francisco to Modesto. Well, that is a long drive. That's like yeah. two hours. Yeah, but we're not accustomed to sitting in the cars for that long. <laughs> you know what I mean? So the doors open in Modesto, a little bit past midnight, right, whatever. Yeah. I don't remember. It was dark and the heat oh, and, and check it out at that time this is uh i think it was september okay 
the so, heat from that so night. Midsummer, pretty mm-hmm. much. Excuse me, and there was a stench. <laughs> you know, in Modesto, well, they you were this, in the country. Yeah, there was this. Uh, you know, they have, uh, uh, I guess, a slaughterhouse out there. Oh, so you were I think by it was the, Foster the farms, farms. Yeah. yeah, something like that. And and you could smell death in there. Oh, something that was God. in the in the air. I was You're like, like what is that? I got punched in the face <laughs> by Modesto. You're like. <laughs> Oh, it was just, it was like, what is going on? And, and, um, we go into this, uh, to this house We you know, everyone welcomes us. And, but so my first, you know, moment I was like, oh man, wh- where is this? And why You're does like, it smell so bad? Yeah. And how come it's so bloody hot? <laughs> it was like over a hundred something, you know, in, at night it was, wow, and it was dry. Too. It was dry. So wake up the next day, you know, my first time meeting my, my mom's side of the family. Cause all my mom's side of family is in America. Wow. When did they come over here? 91. 91. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 1991. When was that the year that you came here? I believe my my year was 92. 90, yeah, 92. Yes, so they had it was just 92. came one year before you. One year before me, yeah, because wow. I was 19. Uh, so 92. Okay. Yep. Um, and then, you know, man, I, I'm meeting my family for the first time. They're from the motherland. They're from India. So okay. my mom's side of the family is all from India, Punjab. Wow. Yeah. And all my dad's side is from the UK and Canada. But, but you said <clears> your family's from the countryside of India, right? Yes. That's probably why they went to Modesto. That's no, the countryside of California. Uh, well, I, I don't know. Uh, I think they it's because my aunt lived out there and they worked at the cannery. And so it just kind of yeah. work situation, that's where they ended so up So that's where the jobs mm-hmm, were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So they ended up working out there in the cannery and stuff. So grandma, my mom's side, um, they worked at the same place. And we're out there meeting meet my you know cousins for the first time on my mom's side You know, in, in a long time. And I remember seeing them as little kids when I did go to India when I was 12 years old uh, for about three, four months. But they're now a bit bigger crazy thing man is like uh, the next day it gets so freaking hot i'm not used to the heat wow. and that stench has not gone away no it got worse too because of the heat. yeah it was bad man i was like oh god i got a one month out here man <laughs> and everyone goes to work so wow. now what, what's it to do right and back then in the 1990s they didn't have satellite television or no, no, none of that stuff no it was phones. rabbit ears right on top of yeah. the television the only channels that came in clear were the Spanish speaking channels everything else is all scrambled <laughs> you're like how do I end up in Mexico <laughs> <laughs> so what language are they speaking yeah. number one Mexicans what are like what you know what yeah. are they doing over here yeah. right I had no my, course, my, ge- yeah. my geography was off you I had no idea like Knight Rider and uh, Baywatch exactly I was like yeah. why where's you know <laughs> Where's the where's all the beautiful women at, right? Yeah, not uh, in Modesto. No, That's oh sure. my God, I got a crazy story. So I was like, all right, you know, what what do I do? And you know, trying to unpack a month in in this little short conversation. But I remember this, and I was like, okay, let's go for a walk. You know, maybe I bump into a pub, or maybe I bump into something. You know, I'm 19 years old, right? Yeah. Oh, you know, because if you go for a walk anywhere in England, right, you're gonna bump into some stuff to go yeah. do. And by the way, Modesto in the early 90s was probably as country as you can get really okay i mean it's still barely getting developed but in the 90s yeah oh my god like you literally went to a farm basically exactly yeah farm town so i'm I'm walking i don't have a hat on i think you know not used to having the sun cook my goose the way it did man especially coming from the london weather that's right right? oh man i'm burning right so like, there's gotta be a pub or gotta be something (laughs) around here right i'm walking and walking and there's nothingness and i see roads that go forever and it's just i'm like I better walk back, you know, and then I yeah. see this uh, store called Lucky's. I was like, oh, I was going to Lucky's real quick, air conditioning. Um, uh, and I pick up a, a six pack of, of beer. Yeah. Right. And I go to stand out and check out. And I didn't know how to calculate, you know, this is because the taxes are separate right. from the actual cost. Okay. Uh, so they, they say, I said, it's seven ninety nine or six nine, whatever it was, plus tax. And then I was like, hang on a minute. It said six bucks over there, whatever. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, it's plus tax. I was like, oh, okay, you know, kind of. Yeah. You know. And they asked your ID. I was like, what you put my fucking ID for? Yeah. <laughs> no one's asked my ID. So I have my passport in my back pocket. Yeah. It's like, here it is. He goes, you're underage. You can't. You can't oh, right. Because was it, was it younger in, in, in Britain? 18. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. Here's 21. 21. So... And and I was so pissed. <laughs> oh, like, I was so pissed off, man. Yeah, I, couldn't, I walked out of there just like I said, "Mum, I'm going back. I'm yeah. going back to England. I'm going back to England." Yeah. I was. I, I couldn't take more. Than, there was nothing to do. Nowhere yeah. to go. You no, know, you, and my, my you cousins didn't... did the best they could to 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 kind of like entertain us. But right. that was not. I mean, now looking back, you know, it was kind of rude of us to be the way we were. I didn't know any better, man. But they're working, man. They were hustling. They were doing what they were could, yeah. and we we were there for what one month or so, and and but you know we didn't have to drive a car, and they were driving Chevy Caprices. That was like you know four. It's it's a four wheel boat. You know, it's yeah. got no just very difficult to drive that car. Yeah. Um, no power steering. <laughs> it was it was crazy, man. So you know, I'm like I am going crazy. I'm like I have to go back to England. Right. There's no way I'm gonna live in America. That's crazy. Um, yeah. So, so that was your first experience with the United States. Mm-hmm. And so you stayed in Modesto the whole entire time? The okay. one month I was there. So mm-hmm. did you finally think it was cool or were you just really happy to get the heck out of there? I was happy to get the heck out of there. All right. So what brought you back to the United States after that experience? The beginning of the podcast, I talked about this pattern. Okay. 73, 83, 93. Okay, so now we're in 93. Okay. Right. And And... This pattern hadn't occurred to me back then. I'm telling you, this pattern has just occurred to me about a month and a half ago. Okay. All right. Well, you know we're heading into 2023, right? I know. Well, check this out. Uh, you know, I don't want to. We'll talk a little bit about some ADD, right? Yeah. Um, 93. There was a recession in the UK. The European Union joined um, Britain around that time. Uh, huge changes. I became unemployed. The company I worked for uh, let go of a lot of people. I was, in a, I was a, a sheet mail worker at Airflow Streamlines. You know, I'm picking up my toolbox. I'm throwing it in the back of my car. I'm, I'm now unemployed. Uh, and, um, you know, unemployment benefits out there, that doesn't pay that much. And, and check this out. Out of all my friends, I made the most amount of money. Wow. All my, I used to be the guy that had the most amount of money. I had cars. You know, out of all my friends, I, had, I was the only one with a car. So you were living a pretty good life. I was, at man. like 20. Yeah, yeah right? I was doing all right. And, 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 and I made money. You know, yeah. and I'd, I'd, I'll take all my neighborhood friends out on the town. I'd give wow. them all 10 pound each because I wanted them to have fun. 10 pound would yeah. go far. So everybody loved to hang out with Rav, right? Because well, Rav I had loved, the money. I loved hanging out with them too. Yeah. I wanted to go out with people, you know, and have fun with those folks. Yeah. And, you know, I had, I had a good coworker. He was a, he's, a, he's a comedian, man. I wish you could meet him. His name is Ross Goosey. Um, and he's just super funny to hang out with. But he lives on a very posh part of okay. Northampton, very upscale. Okay. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because when I went to his place, um, this would be a TV show uh, back in the 80s. You remember the, you, you probably don't know this, but there's a show called Dallas and Dynasty. It was like a soap opera. Was it like uh, in Texas? Yeah, it was based around Texas, but I don't know where Dynasty was based off of, but it was called, it was I a, remember Dynasty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Dyn- yeah. So, yeah. Or, or Falcon I, Crest. That was another show. Okay. Falcon, Falcon Crest, right? Whatever. Um, we used to watch those shows because my dad used to make me record it and I'm doing that action because back then the VCRs used to Yeah, I remember button. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember those. So I went to my All friends. All the yeah, like, I went to my friends. talking about? <laughs> I know. I went to my friend Ross's house and I was like, whoa. You know, I'm looking at it, it's like, man, your house is like Falcon Crest. It was just so, to me, it was very posh, right? Yeah. Really, really nice. 
we've never seen anything like that. So remember, I'm living in a rough part of Northampton, um, you know, lumber turbs, the London overspill. Yeah. Now I'm in a, a different part of, uh, of, of Northampton, seeing a, seeing a different side completely. Yeah. Upscale, looks really nice. And, and I loved his mom. His mom was awesome, you know. And So let's talk about that. That's the first time you ever saw a contrast to what you grew up in. Absolutely, yeah. What did that do to you? I wanted to be that way. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to live that way. I wanted to. I, I knew that. You know, I made them. I didn't really. I didn't realize that at the time. I really didn't. Um, but looking back, I was like, man, I made quite. I made. I made the most amount of money. I used to take all my friends out in the town. You know, I had the cars, right? And I was, and uh, in my living in a bubble. But the moment I stepped out and seen how other people lived, um, I was like, man, you know, I kind of live like that. You know, I kind of. I like the fact that it looks nice, comfortable. You know, man, it was just major difference you know yeah. in, in how people lived and so that part of northampton uh is a very upscale posher part of northampton daventry um Bugbrook, these areas you know that are on the outskirts of of of, Nor- of northampton but you know um so those are the suburbs suburbs yeah so where we grew up being the london overspill you know every other house is boarded up burnt out you hear a lot of stories of people's houses being broken into while people are sleeping in their houses. There, wow. was a, there was a thing that was going on back then in 19... I don't know if it still does now, but back then, people used to break into people's houses, these you know crazy guys, and take a shit in the, on the carpet in the, in the front room. <laughs> like leave the living, their mark, basically. Leave their mark. Yeah, they used to do that people wow. used, while the people are sleeping upstairs. That's crazy. My, it happened to my friend, you know, and, and he'd come up, come to work the next day. He goes, dude, this is kind of like normal. Ecton Brook area, Thorplands area. These areas that were like, you know... It was rough, rough man. Yeah. Wow. So so now you you go to your friend's house. You see that there is there's a, a different level of affluence. Of, yeah. Yeah. You, and, yeah. And you want you want it now. So oh, yeah. so you kind of got the drive was like or the fire was lit, lit up to you for a better life. Absolutely. What happens after that? Yeah. You know, you know adversity, right? So we're now unemployed, yeah. making one pound fifty an hour on government benefits. At that time, I had a, a really awesome uh lady friend you know and now we're we have high self-esteem that's built off this artificial wealth that i thought i had that's all gone uh i get into a crazy car crash right um um i used to have what's called uh rs it's a rs 3.0 x-pack capri yeah right it's, okay. a, it's a badass car so it's a fast car it was, it was awesome man yeah. and for a young you know i think i was 19 or 20 years old at the time that was 20 um it, it was way too powerful for someone like me right <laughs> yeah i didn't have insu- no fear yeah, right? i didn't have insurance on it oh wow um and and that my lady friend at the time that you know that young girl's dad he found out and he gave me such a bollocking a heart like he gave me a real hardcore telling off like i got the insurance uh, application put through the day i got into the car crash was the same day that the policy was delivered to my house the wow. same night that's crazy and when um that crash was on on the uh, a45 um dual carriageway area and it was a bicyclist he was riding his bicycle uh-huh. on on the dual carriageway i'm doing about 80 miles an hour Jeez. in rush hour traffic we're, we're, we're going for it right yeah and so you and your lady friend were in the car? No, too? no, no. It was my friend Ian. Okay. Uh, and um, crazy thing is, his kid rides his bicycle, and he's changing lane like car changes lane. Uh, he's wearing a Parker jacket, so you right. can't. You know, when you got a hood hood up, you can't you see. can't see behind you. He has a, he has a big 
duffel bag on his back. Yeah. And, and I'm seeing him in the distance and I'm too fast. I hit him. His bike almost splits in two. I see him go over. He comes into the, wow. a, what's called a rag top kind of uh, thing. Yeah. Uh, he comes into the car and he rolls back out. But he put a, a, a in the roof, between the roof and the windshield, He that gets pushed in and pushed into my friend Ian's face. Oh, wow. Right? Um, so his, his face is full of glass. My buddy, I'm, you know, passions are on my left-hand side, by the way. Right? Because we're, we're right-hand drive. And so he's he's all got glass in his face there's no skid marks there's no me hard breaking because there's just not enough time for it right and then i and, and i pull up and I run back to where the kid is you know he's just looking his eyes are open it, it looked like he he i'd killed him wow uh, you know and so i'm like there's no sounds coming from him no nothing oh my gosh just so happens across this across the other carriageway there's an ambulance that pulls over and sees everything going on and, it, and one of my my neighbors actually was on that same carriageway. She sees me and, and she has a real disappointed look at me. Actually, she was hating my guts anyways course, because I was just yeah. a really messed up kid in that neighborhood. But um, she drives by and uh, and then he starts to make this moaning sound. Uh, so now I know so he's, he's alive. alive. The, yeah, the ambulance people come out, they run across and they basically take care of him. I found out from my buddy whose wife uh, worked at the general hospital in Northampton that the, the seat had gone up um you know his backside and he broke his elbow that's all that happened to him the bicycle seat mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> tore him up oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> we laugh about it now <laughs> well at least he's alive yeah you know at that I mean? time it was crazy so my car gets towed they're doing an inspection on the car oh, and god that, uh, man it, you got lucky right i got super lucky and so did he because that could have been a lot yeah. worse wow. and then the insurance you know had come in and um, i'm making payments but now they say okay you need to pay up up front so uh, I borrow money from my auntie in London um, and, and I pay for the insurance right away to make sure that I'm completely covered uh, for the accident. But the car's, car is um, basically liability only, yeah. right? <laughs> they weren't going to insure no, you. No, and I get the car back and it still can't, you know, it's, it's busted up. And I just happened to get a job at a body shop. Uh, remember, we're still unemployed and I had a little side job at a body shop and I rebuilt my car, Okay, put it back together again. Uh, and uh, I think about seven or eight months later, that car gets stolen and burnt out. <laughs> wow. Sounds like Paul Hart, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's crazy, man. Um, but yeah, a lot of adversity in that year. So uh, my mom calls me from America on the day of the accident. I'm at home taking a shower, washing a glass out of me. Um, my mom calls me up, says, hey, son, I, I felt the urge to give you a call. Wow, you know, she she's speaking know? Punjabi, right? So, um, you know, speaking English. She said, I felt the urge to give you a call. Are you, are you okay? I said, and it was just so weird that my mom gave me a call that day. Jeez, mother's thought, intuition, man. Exactly, man. It was weird. I said, something was wrong. So that's why I, I thought I'd give you a call. I said, mom, you know, and I gave my mom, told my mom what had happened. Uh, and that's that's when I explained to her what was going on. And, you know, just watching how, um, that was in November, actually. That was uh, that happened in, that happened in um, uh, 92, November 92, it was 4 p.m. Uh, November, I think it was like November 6th or something like that. A couple of days after my birthday. <clears throat> yeah, something like that. And and um, it was crazy, man. Like I just started seeing my life unfold because, you know, I'm working, I'm making a lot of money, I'm, I've got cars, I'm, you know, I'm, do, I'm living by myself practically. My parents are over here in America and I've got the whole place to myself. Wow. You know I mean? I'm doing all right. Yeah. I'm having a blast. i got a beautiful... Man, you're living uh, the life. You know, i got a beautiful lady friend, you know, and... Um, and at the same time, like, you know, things are, things are looking awesome. But then it started to, uns, you know, unravel yeah. job loss, 
you know, financial instability. Right. And now you feel insecure. You know, you're kind of like feeling, like, oh gosh, I'm not the man anymore, right? Yeah. Um, and and <clears throat> the car accident. You know, lost the lost the badass car, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm getting helped out by people that are, you know, awesome people that are just helping me out at that time. And we we put that car back on the road. And eight, I think eight or nine months, uh, nine weeks later, somebody steals it. Um, and burns it out, you know, yeah. and, and uh, <clears throat> sad. Um, but yeah, man, I just, uh, it was weird how my mom gave me that call, you know, yeah. and uh, and then my mom says to me, she goes, come to America. Wow. 93, I think 93, 94, something around that time. It's all a blur to me now, but come back to America. Man, I didn't want to be here. But yeah. now they're not living in Modesto. They're not in Modesto at all. They're in Union City. Oh, so they came to the Bay Area, mm-hmm, Union City, yes. and so we're we're over here in Union City, um, a place called Hot Branch Road, and the whole family is living in one uh, one house. <laughs> of course, right. you know what I mean. Yeah. Like God, so the only clear spot was the sweep of the door. That's it. <laughs> you know, so you had to find a spot to go sleep somewhere, right? So I'm over here, still hate it. I go back again, um, try tie up some loose ends, whatever. Then I come back officially. I think in 94, I believe, or okay. like again. But now we have um, we have our own place over here in Fremont, you know, and I stayed put. Yeah. Hating it, though. Yeah. It took me seven years to get used to America. Really? It took mm-hmm. me seven years. What was the biggest uh, uh, struggle as far as culture change for you? You know, they, they say, um, I remember this, the guy at the, at the airport, welcome to the land of milk and honey. Come on, y'all, spend your money. That's what he said. That's what, that was at the airport. At the airport, customs wow. guy. Uh, and then, uh, welcome to the land of the home. Uh, welcome to the... The land of the free and free, the home of the brave. Land of the free, home of the brave. Yeah, so that's... Where like, nobody's free and very few are brave. 100% accurate, man. Yeah. I felt more freedom in the UK. Really? Absolutely. I felt more freedom. Well, that's probably because you're an immigrant. And it's funny because not all immigrants come from Mexico. Exactly. Okay, people <laughs> like yeah. my brother-in-law is from New Zealand. Right. He was an immigrant. You come from the UK. You're yeah, an immigrant, right? Absolutely. They're yeah. not all from Mexico, okay? Yeah. So you still had the immigrant struggles, right? As far as culture, as far as like, obviously in your home country, like you mm-hmm. know it, you know, you have all the rights, you have all the all the freedom. Talk about that. What was the biggest? What was the biggest struggle? So, if you if in America, if you don't have any money, you can't go anywhere. Right. You're stuck. There's no safety net as such. There is one, but it's like it's like you have to be at the lowest of the lowest level yeah. to better catch that safety net. Welcome to capitalism, right? Uh, you know, if you don't have transportation, you can't go anywhere, man. Yeah, in especially ca- in these big cities. Yeah, you can't. Like in England, you can just jump on a bus. Yeah, you can go true. for a walk. You know, and you and you go for a bike ride. You know, and you're there. You arrive at places. I lived in a place called Northampton where it was self-contained. Yeah. In America, you have to go to different cities for different things. Yeah. You, people don't realize that. They're like you, you, you know, you maybe shop in in uh, Union City, then you go across to Fremont to go do something, and you're in you're in different cities. But in Northampton, uh, which is the size of Northampton, is about the size of Fremont. Okay. It was self-contained, and if you left Northampton, meaning you were actually going to go spend the night somewhere, you're going far. You know, so how far is Northampton from London? Sixty miles, about okay. sixty-one miles. Yeah. So that's that's a car at least. Like, mm-hmm. or can you take public transportation, like a train or something? You, you can take public transportation. You can drive down there. But check this out. This is the mentality that we had. If you were going to London, you spend the night. Very rarely right. would you come back that night. Yeah, that same day. But that's the biggest difference with infrastructure mm-hmm. between, obviously, the UK and. 
let's just say California, right? right. More spread out. Public transportation sucks. It does, yeah. You know, like only like the poor and the young kids go on public transportation here. In London or in the UK, it's like where, how people get around. That's exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. So that was obviously a huge shock for you, right? Right. Where you basically, your wings got cut, mm -hmm. you know? And then obviously here, it's capitalism. Yep. I mean, one thing about the United States, though, is if you're poor here, you're not struggling for food. You're just, you're broke. Like, you don't have a phone. You have, a, you have, a, you, you still have a decent life, right? Mm -hmm. We're in like a third world country. If you're poor, you're worried about where food's coming from, right? Like, you don't care about a nice cell phone or this, it's food. But so I think it was mainly infrastructure and cultural things that, that really affected you a lot, right? And you were, you were in your 20s. Absolutely, yeah. But let's, let's kind of like do the comparison contrast between poverty in the UK, poverty in the United States, okay? Because we lived in it, we we lived in uh, uh, through that poverty. Um, people, I don't know about nowadays, but back then, you used to have these little cards um, that you used to be able to put in a machine that would give you electric. You'd have electricity, really. And, and the, when the card would run out, you'd better put another card in, otherwise the power would shut off. Wow, that's that's how it was. Yeah, my friends used to do this. That's rubbing. how it is in Cuba right now. Is it? Oh. Yeah, yeah. So my my friends used to rub the cards and. Try to get more out of them, right? <laughs> <laughs> on the plastic bag. Yeah, they should yeah. do something and put it back in the machine to try to get more electricity. Um, and then you'd have to go downtown and, and to the, you know, to the centers to get your cards recharged. That's how people did it. But that's that's the government system, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and so, you know, where we grew up, that was kind of normal. That was normal. Yeah. Um, it, growing up, especially when you're in your younger years, when, when, when money was super tight for my parents, you know, we're growing. We've got, we're going through growth spurts. Our shoes are now, um, you know, not yeah. my... Especially we, boys. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, my parents couldn't afford shoes. And so my mom would do her best to try and glue the shoes that we had because the soles used to come apart, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, I, and I, to protect, because it rains a lot in England, I used to put carrier bags over my feet Yeah. and then put elastic bands so the carrier bag won't go down. Wow. Like you know, the, you know Tesco bags, whatever it yeah, was, yeah. plastic bags, and then put my shoes in. But I would do my best to kind of keep the shoe from like coming apart at the bottom, because it was money was super tight. And then when my mom would go to a shoe shop in in a place called Primark, everyone knew in the school that you got your shoes from over there, and they yeah. would make fun of you. Of course, right? You know yeah. what I mean? So, so it was kind of like a badge that we're poor. Yep. And poor means beating, <laughs> or or teasing, or outcast. You know, like right, the, right, you know, right, exactly. So. It was rough, man. Um, and, and when you see the richer kids, they have nicer sneakers, you know, nice shoes yeah. and nice clothes and stuff. And so that's everywhere. Yep, that's everywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just different levels, you know. Absolutely. But it's everywhere. So now you're here. Uh, you're in Fremont, which is ironic because you guys ended up in what has now become like India West. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, not crazy. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, did your parents move to Fremont because they knew there was a, a strong population of Indian people there or it was just kind of like by chance? It was actually because of work was over here. Wow, yeah, that's crazy. Work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So mom works, my mom used to work for a place called Mervyn's. You remember Mervyn's? Yeah, I remember Mervyn's. Yeah, yeah. the warehouses. Yeah. So I came to the United States and mom says, okay, you got to go work. And, you know, with the skill that I had, being a sheet metal worker, fabricator, welder, um, I can, you know, I can build things, make things and go yeah, the metal. Hands, basically, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
there was no real uh, career over here for me that for me to do that over here, except for working in body shops. Right. And my mom say work over here at Numi plant, the factory making cars. And I said that's production line. You know, that's a factory with this. Numi. All you're doing is one thing. Yeah. yeah I so I wasn't that. I wasn't set up for working at Numi. That's not what I did. And I worked at the body shops over here too, and I was like, this is a different standard. You know, yeah. I was so used to working at a very d- different standard compared to American, and it just wasn't for me. And then uh, worked at Mervyn's for a bit, and then I hooked up with some friends that you know made me feel welcome in America. You know these. Well, that's good. They're, they're, they're former British people too. You know, just like me, same brand of folk. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, hey, your vibe attracts your tribe. Exactly right. right? And they, and they, they were telling me things like, well, you know, go back to school, and everything around here is all computers, and learn computers. Of course. And, yeah. yeah. So I was like, oh, okay. You know, I'm just following along with these. You know, I don't know. This is before YouTube, before Google, before the oh, internet. Yeah. I remember. You know? I, I remember. I'm 43. I remember those times. Yeah, yeah. So you know, my network of people worked in that industry, and, and they said, "Hey, go, go, go to school and get get with these credentials, whatever." So I did that and um, worked at these tech firms over here. So you know, come so here and work. You did get an education in computers. I did. Okay. Um, didn't help me in my career though. You know, really? it's just kind okay. of weird. Yeah. Um, all I've got to say is this: like, it's not what you know; it's who you know in America. Of course. Yeah. Right. It's kind of funny, though, because like you're Indian. Well, you're British, right? Mm -hmm. That's what people mistake because they look at you and they say, oh, he's Indian. Right. But you were born and raised in the UK. You are British. Right. Right. Just like I'm Mexican American, but I'm not I'm not like if I was raised in Mexico, I was raised in the United States. So um, it's it's just funny. You just came basically like a decade too soon, you know. <laughs> or like if you if you were raised in India and you studied like to be a software engineer and you came here, would have probably been a different experience. But so so what happened after that? You started getting jobs and what, what came next? So yeah, you know, looking back now, I have a lot more clarity. But at the time, it was all a blur. I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. I just need I need, we need to make money, right? Yeah, you're still figuring it out. Trying to figure it out. So you know, and and here's the thing, you know, now. I'm, 21 22 23 years old around Still that age very young though um i got this background in sheet metal working and fabrication all that kind of stuff now i'm changing my career i'm right. changing industry i still have that background though and and i'm working for tech firms over here like um, um lamb research hewlett packard uh, working and uh, as a temporary employee yeah not not permanent positions uh, intel same thing and I ended up getting a job at Sun Microsystems on the production line over here in, on Dixon Landing Road in Bill Peters. Okay. And, and making good friends, making great associations. But I um, struggled a great deal. I used to give my whole paycheck to my parents because we wanted to make sure we bought a house over here in Fremont. Wow. So you helped That's how parents. we did it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we bought our first house by everyone pitching in. But I think that's a that's one good thing about immigrants, right? right. They're very family oriented and they help each other. You mm-hmm. know, I don't I don't know about Mexicans too much, but but like you know, the Chinese, maybe the Indians, right? Yeah, that's how they succeed and move forward, right? They get together and they they go and they help each other, and they and then once you guys get on your feet, then the other ones help each other and yeah, and vice yeah, versa. Absolutely. Right? And so you know, my my mom side of family helped out helped us out a lot. So is my dad's side in the UK, um, and they helped us with the down payment for our house in Fremont. And how but much we did the house cost back then? 230000 Jeez. Like, you yeah. can't even get a closet for $230,000. No, apparently it's that's, worth... That's still pretty pretty expensive for back then, too. Yeah, yeah. And there was a... There was a um, there was a we, we came up with the, the money like that. We had to pay everyone back pretty quickly. So yeah. we were doing all sorts of crazy jobs. Right now, the house is worth $1.4, $1.5 million wow. a, You know, that's what it's worth. 
Um, so you guys, more than five times your investment. Yeah, I guess, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, and that, But that's how we did it. We all we all put our money in one pot, you know, yeah. and, and we helped each other out as a family and we come up with a down payment and we made it happen, yeah. you know. And so when did you start to get, get your bearings and start liking the U.S.? Like you said, it took seven years. So yeah. you were like, what, 27, 28? I think around the time when I met my wife. Okay. Uh, who's now that? my wife today? Christina. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So Talk early. about that. How'd you guys meet? <laughs> so this is, she's probably going to, uh, I've said this story so many it's times. Okay. She knows so me. So I worked good. at Mervyn's. I worked with her brother. Okay. okay her brother uh, is the one who made me feel uh, so welcome and made me feel at home in America. Oh. And he took me around and showed That's me things. That's how Mexicans are, man. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously my British Punjabi friends that I'd made in the United States as well, that they also took me around and showed me around and introduced me to things. And uh, so This I think is really good, by the way. It is awesome. Right? I am not a beer drinker, but this is some good Truma stuff. Is, that's my, this is the benchmark. Yeah. of pilsners so and brewed in california the brits know their 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 beers that's yeah for sure. that's 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 when i tasted that i was like whoa yeah we're onto something yeah i'm sorry to oh ahead. no yeah. yeah so just you know just my association my friends so her uh christina's brother his name's juan uh we call him kiko okay. and so you know, cool. just hanging out with him and we had a blast we'd we'd go to san francisco a lot and uh, you know, growing up in the UK, we we're part of the rave culture, the house I was music part culture. of the rave culture. Yeah, house music culture. Yeah. Bay yeah. Area is a lot of house music, by the way. Back, I'll be honest with you, when I came here, it wasn't, man. It wasn't. I was pissed off and disappointed. Wow. Yeah. It's, and the, I think I think the UK is just a couple of years ahead. Yeah. Europe's a couple of years ahead in technology, mm-hmm. or back then they were, right? Mm-hmm. And I think they were a couple of years ahead with house music. But when I was growing up, because I'm, I'm, so you're 47, you said? 47, yeah. I'm 43, so that's four years so i t- probably took about four years for it to catch up because when i was growing up it was all raves when i was yeah, like 16 it, it was there was a huge delay in time for i noticed that too yeah um it, it's crazy man i wish we had you know the technology we have now back then it would have been oh, awesome man you know crazy, yeah. but yeah, it was everything you know so these guys are taking me out in the town and and, and one of my favorite djs uh his name is carl cox uh, and um, I think I remember him. Yeah. Yeah. So he's actually performing at the Sound Factory in San Francisco. Do you guys remember, I remember Sound Factory? Sound Factory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Check this out, man. I was uh, maybe it may sound braggadocious right now, but I'm really not. I'm telling the truth, and and um, my brother-in-law can attest to this, Kiko. Uh, this is I remember going back to Christina yeah. how I met her, and so I used to go to clubs in San Francisco. About about it, about this story just popped into my head right now where. It it's kind of it kind of pisses me off a little bit. Um, going back to Mervin, so the supervisor that I work with, uh, awesome dude, his name's Barry. He's black. Okay. I have no problem, right? When I came to America, the first thing I noticed, and it and I couldn't shake it, was how segregated and separated everything was. Yeah. And it was it was far worse than anything I've ever seen in the UK. I mean, I had a mixed race of friends in the UK, white, Chinese, Jamaican, people from Africa. Like we were all hanging out, hanging out. We were all making fun of each other. We all, I mean, we would take the proper mickey out of each other. Yeah. Like we'd get racist jokes down, right? I mean, but we <laughs> never what, took a person. That's what friends do, right? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Never, we never took a person. We just have a good laugh. Yeah. And, and uh, but over here in America, it was crazy because one of my buddies in the UK actually left left the left to come to Los Angeles the year before I came out here, and he goes, "Rav, you're not gonna like it over there." I said, "What are you talking about?" 
The man is all segregated and separated over there. By the way, Southern California is a lot more segregated than the Bay Area. So he went, oh. But it's not, it's not on purpose, though. Okay. But there's, you'll go to pockets of Southern California, and it's all one race. Mm. And it just kind of it just kind of works. But it's not like it's racism. It's just they all kind of congregate in one area. Yeah. Um, well, you know, when, when you're at that level, at that age, you don't realize, what, but you just kind of got like, there's something's wrong, man. Yeah. You know, how but, come there's, and this is how I, this is how it looks like, Mervyn's was a good spot to explain it. When I go into the break room, there was the Philippines. Yeah. There was Mexico. There was uh, China. There was the white guys, you know. And in the back and outside patio, there was this hodgepodge crew of people. Yeah. The misfits, and then right? and the guy goes to me, I've come over here. And I have so much respect for this guy. His name is Carlos. Um, awesome dude, man. I, he took me into his wing and... Uh, very father figure like you know and and um yeah he really made me feel at home that guy did i haven't talked to him in years man that guy's awesome but he really made me feel at home and i met juan that way and uh, we were just talking but barry the supervisor being a black guy gave me a couple of tickets to this place called release okay. 10 15 Folsom. yeah i remember 10 15 Folsom. Right, he gave me tickets he goes hey man when you get there that place is still around by it the is way. right yeah and he goes when you get there talk to this guy right now and i've already told him that you're coming and i said hey can i bring anybody else who, who else can i bring yeah, you want some extra tickets? I was like, yeah, I'd love to take, take one. I mean, all these guys, you know, these yeah. guys are new. Um, and and he goes, hey, meet this guy at the door. And I and I, and I was like, awesome, man. Wow, so We're going to go to the place. A yeah, big time hookup. Barry was related to the owner um, of 1015 Folsom. Oh, wow. They were, they're related as family. Wow. And that's how I know it. But when I when I uh, approached the guys about uh, going to this uh, place in 1015, and, and, and uh, you know, <sighs> I, you know, at that time they said, "No, nah, we're not interested. We're not. No, nah, we don't want to go. We're good." Who, who said that? Um, these guys that I was hanging out with at work. I mean, it's going to sound messed up on the on. You know, right now I probably regret that action at that time, but I guess their experience in life that they've had made them make that decision of not going, and it was okay. based on the fact that Barry is black. Okay. Right. Got it. And uh, you know, I didn't see that. So there was like a, a hint of racism. Hint of racism. Yeah. yeah. And so I went with some other friends, my British Punjabi friends that I'd made over here in America. <laughs> You're right? like, rave? Let's go. Uh, well, I, did, I didn't know it was going to be a rave, man. Oh, okay. I just knew it was going to be a place to go out in San Francisco. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we, we went out there and I met the doorman. I met all the people. I got VIP and I got to know everybody. You know me, Isaac, man. I'm very social. I yeah. meet everybody. I connect with people. I, make, I shake hands and I'm, I'm, doing my, I'm doing my rounds, right? I got to know everyone. Went there a bunch more times, man. There'd be a queue around the building. Yeah. I'd never queued up. Yeah. I went straight to the front door and Wolfie the doorman would open the door up for me. Hey, yep, come on in. He That's an say, awesome hey, feeling, right? Yeah, you, know, you know, we call him Wolfie, but he's a German dude, right? And he let me in and I get VIP. I'm the only one drinking beers after beers, uh, after alcohol cutoff time. Yeah. I'm oh, in the so VIP section the yeah. and all the bartenders would give me out of their purses. And yeah. uh, and even at, even at uh, uh, Sound Factory, I used to be able to get into that place for free, you know, um, just walking up to the front door, never queued up. I never queued up. And by the way, that was probably the heyday of those clubs because when I started going to them, they were kind of like phasing out a little bit. Really? 1015 is still around. Like okay. They're still going strong, but yeah. Sound Factory was phasing out a little bit by the time I started going to them. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So you were like living it up, I'm VIP blast, during the heyday of yeah. those clubs. But see, I didn't know... I didn't. I didn't know that I was. Um, it was normal for me, right? Yeah, yeah. But then I'm taking my 
wife's brother to the city. Okay. And I'm showing him around. And take, I'm, he's getting the same kind of treatment. Yeah, he's like, Rav, you're cool, Dude, man. Well, this is awesome. I said, man, I try to introduce you. This is like, you know. And he yeah. goes, yeah, but Rav, you know, you got to understand, man. You know, the tickets that you got, I thought it was going to be some for some for some venue that belonged to, you know, tend to be for the black people. Yeah, and it wasn't a part of that. He goes, what's, what's the hate? What's the animosity? He goes, well, when I was growing up as a kid in Union City, I used to get the shit kicked out of me um, by by the black kids. Yeah. You know, they just get beat up, and, and he just had a and he just, just we just kept it separate, and yeah. we didn't want nothing to do. And I just I just had like you know an experience that um, that he carried forward. Yeah, and the trauma from young. trauma. Yeah, yeah. For, so he carried it from. That was why he didn't go with me at that point. But I, I made such good friends with this guy Juan. I saw his sister in a club one time, oh. <laughs> right? and uh, actually, actually, I saw her the first time at at his house. Yeah, and I said, like, "Man, your sister's fine." That's what I said. Right? <laughs> yeah. That was the word of the night, dude. Right? He got pissed off. Of course, me. right? You, you never like, tell Latino you know that, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you talk about sister, and I was like, "Oh shoot!" You know, I, I thought uh, it was complimented. Right? No, no, not to Anyways, Latino, they're, they're I saw her in the club. Right? I saw her in the club, and she was holding some other guy's hand, and because they were dancing, or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, "Hmm." <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, you know, I just kind of felt like your competitive juices came in. But right? we're not, we're not dating. We just know each other kind yeah. of because well, you of liked her. Like, I liked her a yeah, lot. Yeah, a lot. And, you know, slowly, but over the years went by. And um, one time, I guess he went, I guess Juan went to San Diego, then up into Mexico. Oops. Um, and then I went over to his place. Back in the day, we had pages, remember? Yeah, I remember pages. No cell phones. So I went over to his place expecting him to be there. He was, and his sister answers the door. And <laughs> like, ha, ha, my no, I, you know, it wasn't that way. Uh, honestly, I, you know, being respectful of my of friend, course, I didn't right. know. I, you know, I want to be respectful of my friend. That's a, that's a difficult situation to be in, though. Is it? Yeah. To yeah. like really like your good friend's sister, like, yeah, because no matter what, the you know, not me, but like some guys are like very protective of yeah. their sisters. Oh, absolutely, you know, I, I, I don't blame him, man. I really don't, because she's awesome. Um, but even me being in that place at that time, I had no intention of being that person that was busting moves. You know what right, I'm saying? Right, right. I just, I was just being me, friendly. Um, that probably worked out <clears throat> for you better, probably. Than you kind of like being all aggressive and trying to, you know, yeah. bust moves on her. You, yeah. she actually got to know the real you. I guess so. Yeah, and you got to let your guard down, and that's we just they, we were just friends, man. We had we were just friends for years. Um, How long were you guys friends for? A couple of years, I think, two years, okay. and then we got to the you know holding hand stage after a couple of years. Oh, I'm okay. telling you, man, um, that's a true courtship right there. Really, they don't it even was. those don't even exist anymore. Yeah, I was totally respectful of her, man, because uh, yeah. like, I knew that. That was my friend's sister, Shoot, you know. I, I don't think I've ever had a two-minute courtship. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Not really but, you know, absolutely respectful this. of her, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I wanted to make, to me, um, I don't know. It's like she was, um, I, called her, I called her princess at that time. But she was all, like just pristine is what so, I wanted to so say. So love at first sight. Absolutely. Maybe. I reckon. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but well, just, lo- well, infatuation at first sight, mm-hmm. but love grew over time. I guess so. Yeah. It could be. But, but you know, um, long story short, um, my brother-in-law, he's not brother-in-law now, but he found out. Oh, shit. And he set his uh, his boys to come get me, right? Really? And, oh, yeah. It was, went through that drama. Yeah, yeah. What happened with that? <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it all worked out. We'll put it that way. Yeah. 